Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Scouting for Growth, the podcast where we delve deep into the mechanisms of sustainable business growth and transformative innovation. I am thrilled to introduce you today to my guest, Monica Eaton, trailblazer in tech, payment industry maven, and so much more. From launching her first business as a teenager to building Chargebacks 911, a high-impact solution safeguarding e-commerce growth, Monica embodies resilience and strategic foresight. With the recent introduction of FI911, our vision to overhaul the payments industry continue to unfurl. As an advocate for women in technology, and founder of the nonprofit Paid for Grades, Monica is a force to be reckoned with. For those of you intrigued by Monica's journey, you can find more detail on her website, Monica EC for Eaton. Monica, it is an absolute honor to have you on the show today, actually. And our conversation promises to be a masterclass in resilience, tragic innovation, and ethical leadership. We have a lineup of pressing questions for you that are often asked of me by C-suite executives. And I hope you, we will be able to unveil how to drive sustainable growth despite challenges faced in building new propositions. So today's conversation, we'll dive into your origin stories and your multifaceted skills. We will tackle e-commerce pitfalls. We will talk about business strategies and ethical practices. And I will ask you, Monica, to predict the future and how you make the best use of human capital. So everyone, tighten your seatbelts. We are about to dive deep with Monica Eaton into this conversation. Prepare for an episode full of actionable insights that could very well redefine how you approach sustainable growth and innovation. So let's dive in. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Superb. So Monica, as I, I learned from you and your team, your journey is not only impressive, right? You have had uh, a series of trial and error and learning to build very successful business, which shows your resilience, right? And your ability to learn continuously. So I would love to start our conversation with who is Monica Eaton? What got you to move to the United States? Uh, how did you build your your businesses as well? I know a lot of questions to start with, but let's just put some context <laughs> around who get, you get are. Sure, sure. Um, so, so I think I think part of being an entrepreneur is you have to um, you you make a decision of what you want to be and what really what you want to affect, and I think it all becomes to your point a journey of constant trial and error 
You know, it's the classic story. You have this vision, this is your mission, but the, the dots never connect as you would anticipate. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's generally who you meet, what you do, and it's that constant ambition. Um, so charge max 911. Let's, we'll start there because otherwise it, it could take hours. <laughs> but uh, so I was a merchant, an online merchant um, many years back in, 20, in 2008. And, you know, my vision actually was to become the next eBay. So, um, yeah, small goal, <laughs> but, but I really wanted to develop this marketplace. I had a technology background and I really, I wanted to put, you know, my skills really raise the bar and figure out how could I, how could I, how could I build something impactful with all of the opportunity that was going on in this new frontier called the internet mm -hmm. and failed my way to success. And, and that, and that I thought would have been my most expensive education to date <laughs> because unlike traditional mediums, which I had a lot of experience with prior to that, I had built software for the telemarketing industry, the print media industry. And I thought that, you know, the internet, it's just another medium, of course, you know, so easy. It was completely different, dynamic, changing. There's no guide. There's nothing that is written. Anything that you read is antiquated as soon as you understand what it means. So new frontier, new opportunities, and of course, lots of challenges. So fasting forward from that, you know, from the inception of that venture, yeah. I realized, you know, my sweet spot was international business because I could hedge the currency conversion. And so my, my goal was to take you know, luxury products that were from the U.S. and then really market them into the international market. And like I said, my I was focused on, you know, that eBay model. So developed sort of a marketplace strategy and and thought, you know, finally I had I figured it out, developed, had a great little team. And then this pesky problem kept rearing its head, something called chargebacks. Yes. And it became an Achilles heel. Every time that we got to where, you know what, now it's time to celebrate. Let's get the champagne out. We, we would find, oh, great. All of our money got taken out of our bank. <laughs> we have we have some fraud problem. There is some, you know, unknown chargeback issue. And, you know, it was this nightmare situation that anybody that I asked industry wide, I couldn't get a straight answer. It was, you know, the advice that I implemented didn't produce it, the effects. Um, there wasn't anything that was certain. And this was back. I know it's hard to believe today, but literally, if you search for the word chargeback on Google, like yeah. nothing was there. It, nothing. It was a taboo subject that nobody talked about. And in fact, I was given advice, Monica, you know, just refund more customers. That's what you should do. Refund more. I literally abandoned all common, common sense and at one point implemented a policy to just refund everybody that called us. <laughs> and of course, like that did nothing. So push came to shove and out of necessity, you know, it was, it was either lose my business because I couldn't, I couldn't manage this growing problem or figure out, you know, what the source was of the problem and solve it. And like many entrepreneurs, you know, once you're committed to an idea, it's just, 
you have to stay on course and that tenacity and perseverance is just part of our gene makeup. Yeah. So, so I was dedicated and, uh, and I did what everybody said not to do, but it was just common sense, which was reach out and interview every single customer that filed a chargeback and find out basically from the horse's mouth, you know, what, what caused this problem and something fascinating happened. I discovered that first and foremost, the good news was I was my own worst enemy so I could fix the problem. <laughs> so I didn't know anything about how to set up merchant accounts. And unfortunately I had our fax number showing as our phone number. So any customer that tried to contact us with any issue, was unable to contact us. And as a result, we were getting a lot of chargebacks from banks. I had problems with customs holding our merchandise. Um, it was all these different errors. We codified 106 different errors that caused chargebacks. So wrote software, solved our problem, you know, discovered I, I became an expert at chargebacks, not because I loved it, but because it was a necessary evil. And, and then something pretty fascinating happened. I started getting calls from all the different merchant providers that, um, that we did business with, even the ones that closed on my account because I had too many chargebacks. <laughs> and, one, and they would call to ask, hey, you know, Monica, can you talk to a, a merchant? They're having the same challenges that you had. Could you give them some advice? Um, can you tell them how they can uh, identify the source? Can you you know, give some advice to this or that. And, and they were merchants from all sorts of different industries. And one of them happened to be a very large enterprise merchant, a big box brand that uh, I won't say their name, but a huge merchant. And, and that was, you know, kind of a pivotal point because I thought, you know, it feels great to be able to, you know, share that really I've, I've lived through that pain. It's great to talk to someone on the other side and just rant a bit about how crazy this problem is, but also it feels even better to be able to help someone. And since, you know, even large merchants, even enterprise brands who should, I thought that everyone has this problem figured out and they had the problem. I decided to create a website and maybe offer some consulting on the side. So chargebacks 911, obviously this is a name that I had no idea I would be doing business with anyone in corporate America. <laughs> and, and in the US, 911 is the number you dialed for emergency support. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I'm gonna create this blog and I'm gonna pour my heart and soul and educate the whole world and, and tell people how to solve problems. Because as a merchant myself, what I wish there was was a phone number that I could call that I could call to get rescued from chargeback hell because no merchant wants to deal with this problem. So, so I wrote Monica, one thing which would be helpful then is let's define what chargebacks are and let's go into maybe a few of the examples that yeah, are the absolutely. most common chargeback issues that merchants are experiencing today. Because that is what we call probably a, a really renowned fintech issues, which would affect anybody transacting um, business, even though we are talking about e-commerce here, but it is a technically a fintech problem. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so a chargeback is, 
Essentially what happens in a payments transaction, so when a card payment is used, whether it's a debit or credit, and the cardholder or the customer or consumer ends up contacting their bank instead of the merchant or instead of the business. And as a result, there's a terrific amount of rules for consumer protection that are in place that allow their bank to implement a forced refund that takes effect on that merchant's account. So the merchant has no you know, advance notice. All of a sudden, the money comes out of their account. The consumer is generally provided a pending refund. And then the merchant has to address this claim. And they have a certain amount of time that they need to either respond. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's a permanent charge. It also carries a penalty, sometimes a fine. And if merchants get too many chargebacks, then they can also lose their ability to process credit card transactions. Yeah, interesting. You know, there are some news uh, newspapers, for instance, where which makes it very difficult to get a refund. And I think um, that's where uh, they need to learn about this charge or consumer need to learn about those chargebacks because some newspaper. Uh, American newspapers make it very, very difficult for you to contact them or even cancel um, their uh, their membership. But anyway, want to actually understand, um, Monica, how did you fall into this? Because when I read about your your background, right, you have a computer programming uh, background, but at the same time you studied art and architecture. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating, that dual aspect around the artistic and creative mind alongside, I guess, the technological and, I guess, developer mind, which actually you combine in your everyday work. Tell us a little bit more about those. Sure, sure. So um, so I'm a huge believer in, you know, exposing uh, from the bottom up, you know, women and men, all walks of life should be exposed to technology, <laughs> regardless if they say they like it or not. And, and I'm a testament of that. So um, growing up, I, I moved frequently. And one of the schools that I went to in my secondary uh, education, uh, we got to select specific electives. And being you know, probably a very normal girl as a teenager, what I was interested in was you know, cooking classes, fashion. I was interested in fashion design. I did not have any interest in computer programming, none whatsoever. I liked math, but that, that was, that was probably it. Um, and so as a result, I get to this school and there are no, no options. And so I ended up getting enrolled by force into these, uh, two computer programming courses. And I've always enjoyed art. Um, but I, I found I had an aptitude and, and actually I fell in love with it. It was very fun. It was exciting. And I think, you know, today's society, we, we, we lack the ability to show our students exactly how to apply maths and create, you know, really create some tangible use cases using that problem solving ability. And so I, I, I explored that. I liked it. I found it was creative work. And then graduating, I wanted to become an architecture and I want to become an architect. So I studied interior design and architecture and loved art, loved design, 
I've always enjoyed building things. And so went to, to college to study that and then just fell into some very interesting opportunities, meeting the right people, had great mentors and, and ended up from there kind of parlaying. I sold a company when I was 19 that was uh, called Resort Furnishings. And, you know, I don't think that I ever really had set out to say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I was just interested in solving problems <laughs> and I was having fun and I worked hard and I wanted to be an expert, a foremost expert at everything that I did. So fasting, you know, forward, the opportunities that I had that kind of stemmed from that continued to give me, you know, terrific opportunities to solve problems. And when you're solving problems, I do think that it is a form of art to your point. It's creative. And, you know, the part of the satisfaction as an entrepreneur is looking at a problem and then being able to bring it to fruition. Yeah. Regardless if you're an entrepreneur or not, I believe every single one of us, you know, feels fulfillment from that. And looking at technology, then I realized very quickly that, you know, bringing technology into the play of actually any problem that you're solving in business, it really is a combination of kind of reorganizing what currently is and, and, and really creating an environment where you look outside the box and, and you figure out, you know, what, what's the, what's the formula for success. And then with some technology, I, I believe the impossible is possible. It just takes a little bit longer. <laughs> so let's come back to Chargeback 911. So you already talked to us about its formation and its yep. origin. Um, it would be good, good to dive a little bit more around uh, the business itself. You mentioned you missed to lose that business, right? Because of the chargeback themselves. And so how did you turn around your story and tell us a little bit more about what the business model entails today? Sure, sure. So I created the uh, chargebacks 911 um, really initially as a blog to educate others. And shortly thereafter, I uh, was contacted by the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. So just an incredible story, um, totally not uh, anticipated. And thereafter, you know, quickly discovered, look, there's, there's a tremendous you know, gap in the market for something that, that actually solves this problem. Uh, so we started out, so I've, I established a, a mission, I guess, of, you know, I wanted to create a platform solution for merchants in any type of industry across every single geography that helped merchants solve this problem with chargebacks and started that in 2011 uh, and supported, you know, worked from the ground up building a solution that can work with virtually any merchant vertical. We work in 87 countries and today have around two and a half million merchants on our platform and then discovered that chargebacks are not just a problem for merchants. So okay. when I first started the business, I, I, I would have probably thought I knew everything about chargebacks. That's one of the great things about technology. You constantly discover all the things that you really don't know <laughs> So it's, it's just a constant quest of information. Um, 
you know, I, I had heard this quote, which is so right, that uh, good is the enemy of great. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you just have to constantly challenge, do you really know everything, how much more data exists? And when, when it comes to chargebacks, then just like in anything, you want to get as close to the originating source as possible. So about eight years ago, that led us to really, you know, delve into how do we solve a problem for financial institutions? Because when it comes to chargebacks, if you deal with the merchant, that originating transaction went downstream, you know, quite a ways where we're picking that up. And how can we create even more integrity and get closer to the source of the problem? So about eight years ago, started to develop solutions for financial institutions and expand our awareness and our intelligence to understand the, you know, the breadth of the whole data set, all the different rules. So today we solve, we provide, we're a platform uh, technology solution, and we provide uh, solutions that automate the entire process for chargebacks, help maintain compliance. Um, and we provide solutions to some of the world's largest financial institutions, fintech providers, uh, as well as merchants uh, at a global scale. So what you've done is you mentioned 106 uh, challenges, right? So in some ways, what you have done is codify those challenges that the merchant is going to encounter when having a chargeback uh, challenge. So for example, one of the examples you gave us earlier is well, you know, make sure that your fax number is not the same as your mobile number, right? Something that many of us do not really care for because we don't use fax in today's right. days and age, right? You put your mobile because if somebody wants to call you or if you're using, I guess, a, a scan capability, the information will come through your email and then whatever is the messaging will either be formatted by the, the the mobile the mobile service. So, tell us what are the most common mistakes companies do around their understanding of chargebacks, uh, just so that people start understanding the scale of the problem, and uh, how you advise them. Because I assume you have a platform, but I'm sure every so often you have the odd phone call to actually give advice to those organizations as well. Sure, sure. So, um, so you know, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges with chargebacks is, uh, and I think this is industry wide, probably across the spectrum, is recognizing that you know you you can solve any problem as long as you have all of the relevant data, and most importantly, you can interpret that. Um, and so. If a problem is persisting, then we need to look at the source of the problem instead of treating the symptom. And treating the symptom will cause the problem to continue to persist and in chargebacks, not only persist, but grow. And so if we look at whether we're talking to a financial institution or a merchant, then first and foremost, what they're lacking is the understanding of their current data that relates to the chargebacks. So a chargeback comes with a certain, you know, it's codified and it comes with specific codes that indicate a reason. Mm -hmm. Now, because they have a label, then it's often confused. So whether it's a merchant 
or a financial institution, they look at the label and immediately assign it a, a label that is associated. So if they receive a chargeback and it's labeled as fraud, then immediately you they treat it as fraud. That is probably the number one issue. So it comes down to interpreting data incorrectly and also missing the additional data. Yeah. So if the merchant or the financial institution immediately labels that as fraud, they're going to end up creating possibly more chargebacks. So they need to first make sure that they collect all of the data associated with that transaction and then examine that data for its integrity and only then determine whether or not the origination of that particular chargeback, was it fraud? Was it, you know, a, an error caused by the merchant? Is the consumer, you know, doing something wrong? I, every consumer isn't perfect. The majority of them are honest, but some consumers manipulate the rules and exploit the system and, and really help understand, you know, what caused this case and, and understand the context. And then secondly, I, I'd say, you know, the, the other thing that really people need to pay attention to is making sure that they, they shorten the timeframes and, and get access to that data in real time and really make it a priority to not only ingest it, process it, but take action on that so that, you know, they're, they're actually following through with all of those actions they need to not only, you know, I not only resolve that particular case, but prevent similar cases like it from happening in the future. Yeah. You know, we, we are talking often about tangible product, but whilst you are talking, I was also thinking about intangibles. What I've seen often working with startups is that, you know, they set themselves up as businesses, but then the brand of the business change. So you may be buying the product from ABC brand, which is a marketing brand on, on the web, but then you are charged by ZWT, which is the name of the HQ of the business which was set up beside the brand itself. And then you may actually experience chargeback because people cannot reconcile where the transaction is coming from because there's this misalignment between brand name and charging name. Do you see that happen quite often? Oh my gosh, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that happens to be the biggest reason for chargebacks. Um, and, and you can tell like it's an easy problem. Uh, it's an easy problem to solve, but it is, it is a painful problem. Um, and, you know, to your point, many, many consumers, I mean, today in, in the U.S. at least and some banks in the U.K., but I can go to my mobile device and literally I can see all of my transactions and there are transactions that I, I would never even recognize. I can't. And, and in the States, some of these mobile apps allow you with one click, you can file a dispute. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's very, very important. And I'll underscore this, that, that merchants and banks take the time to understand, you know, why did this cardholder file a dispute? Because if they simply didn't recognize it, then, um, you know, it, it could be a pretty easy problem to solve just by making sure that this merchant, you know, updates their name, um, whether it's, you know, was ABC and now it's XYZ, they, they need to figure out, you know, let's make sure that whatever is showing to the cardholder 
they know that this is the same company and maybe it's maybe it's harder to change it on what displays to the yeah. to the consumer but they can do that through you know communications by email by making sure that you know, there's some awareness and that consumer is aware of the charge that's going to appear. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing you mentioned earlier, which I think is a very important point, is as you were building Chargeback 911, you actually got yourself all the chargebacks with your previous businesses. And you actually realized that the only way to really understand what was that was about was to do what we call a desirability uh, investigation, right? Going and talking to your customers, your users, and really understanding what was going on. Can, I, can you, as an entrepreneur, can you tell us what would be your very best tips you could impart to other entrepreneurs who might actually go through the same process around what did you learn when you actually had the challenges with chargebacks um, to actually identify the reason why those were happening? What were your strategies as an entrepreneur to learn from those experiences to build a business you have today? Great question. Um, so, and and you're right. It was definitely a pivotal point um, that that was very fruitful. <laughs> so, uh, I think what what is important is, especially when you know you're you're in the crux of being upset about what is happening and not knowing. Um, it's important to understand to to really underscore the importance and the value of your customers. At yeah. the end of the day. That, that is the most important asset, arguably, that any business has. So you always want to take care of your customers. Um, but also, equally as important, is making sure that you know, you're not operating from a silo and that you have some benchmarking perspective. So what, what we did is we first interviewed our own customers, and then I reached out to peers in the industry to, to really find out Look, this is what we're getting back. What are you guys getting? What what is everybody else receiving? And and this was you know many many years ago when you know I, I didn't even have any idea what PCI compliance was. But but there was but we we really collab I collaborated with many of my of the peers that I had in the industry, and we were able to compare notes. So the third thing, so one I'd say you know make sure that you're empathetic. And, and, and when you talk to your customers, you know, having one-off conversations is not helpful. You have to be able to really codify those results because if you can't utilize the data in a, in a scientific way, then it's not going to be helpful. So you need, you know, a lot of true false answers, multiple questions, and then continue to enrich that feedback because whatever we set out to ask initially had to continue to iterate yeah. so that we could we could really have the data set that, that it was going to give us insight. And then comparing that to what others were getting um, really provided, you know, a very a, a data set that we could get a lot of rich analysis from. Yeah, no, that's superb. And so looking at, I think it's 12 years, right, uh, since you yeah. set up Chargeback 911. So how are things evolved and where are you now with the business and where are you going uh, with it in the future? So, uh, so I think like anybody in the payments industry or fintech, 
Uh, change is inevitable. I'm, I'm more excited than I've ever been. Um, equally, probably more terrified because there's so many opportunities <laughs> in many ways. You know, it takes more discipline than ever to say, I feel like the department of no often, <laughs> but it's important. Like you, you have to stay focused. There are so many new shiny objects. Indeed. Um, and I think that's, that is, uh, that definitely dovetails into our strategy is maintaining a focus on, on, on our vision. Uh, so for, for where we are today over the last 12 years, uh, we have around two and a half million merchants on our platform. We serve the, the world's largest financial institutions. So we're definitely moving up there. Um, we have a location, our headquarters stateside is in Tampa, Florida. And then of course, in Europe, in the UK, um, we've expanded into Singapore, uh, two locations in India. So we'll, on our roadmap, we'll continue to expand into the Latin America region. Um, and we're doing quite a bit in APAC. So I think, you know, continuing to grow roots internationally, um, probably, you know, in the foreseeable future, look at um, possibly making some acquisitions and expanding our footprint, you know, thereafter. Um, you know, I think the other thing that I'll mention, um, you know, I think every business, regardless of the business, it's, it's, you really go through three phases, right? The, the first phase is creating that awareness of what you do and cultivating demand. And that pretty much carries on, right? Once you start to get a lot of competitors in that arena, in some ways it's bittersweet because you have competitors, but in other ways it's, it's actually great because now there's market awareness for your industry. Yes. The second is, you know, product, right? And it's continuous iteration. I, I mean, establishing a product that can scale, that has scope and, and continuing to iterate. And that's like all hands on deck, really the, the scaling constraints that we all complain about. It's a constant, a constant <laughs> drill. And then, you know, you get into that, you know, also very, very strategic, but this is that the monetization phase. And this is really, you know, where things start to come together. And what is most important is strategic execution. And this is, I think, where our organization is now, is looking at what do we want to be when we grow up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's continuously making sure that we're honest to our core this is what we want to do. We want to solve the world's problem when it comes to chargebacks. We want to revolutionize the way that disputes are handled today. We want to create, you know, a, a value proposition for merchants, no matter where they operate in the world and financial institutions. So we have a platform that can connect the dots and solve this problem in a much more efficient data-driven way. So, so that's, that's where, uh, that's where we'll continue to focus. Um, and, and continue to expand into, into some of the emerging markets likewise, and also alternative payments. Very impressive, Monica, which I think it's also important to tap into something which is really dear to you. Um, you reference often building businesses with an ethical backbone. You mentioned the world values and beliefs and, and purpose and strategy, and those are very much aligned with my ethos as well. How does it play within your corporate strategy to be ethical? Any tips you might have learned over the years from mentoring you have received, 
from others uh, which have shaped your viewpoint as to how you build char- chargeback one nine one one. Sure. Um, so I think uh, at the end of the day, it really your core values of your of the company. It's not. I would love to think that it's just me and one leader can craft all of that, but it really comes down to people. And you know, every single year, I I, I think I continue to learn the or you know really appreciate the incredible value of people you know for, and, and growing a technology company often that's something that is sometimes put in the background you know you you have just build the greatest technology make sure you're light years ahead of everyone else just focus on tech it's all about tech it's all about data get all the data and you'll win <laughs> but but you know what having the best product having the best technology um, even having the best clients, none of that comes together and creates a sustainable, you know, rewarding environment with the wrong team. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to the the people that are that are really leading at the helm. And you know, going no business is easy. You're going to go through trenches. It's going to be hard. You're climbing mountains. As soon as you get done with one, you realize, oh my gosh, that was just the end. And now we're starting a brand new mountain (laughs) and it's even harder. But you know what you realize is we built that muscle memory together. And now I have a team that is going to help us get the rest of the way there. And that's, you know, what really matters, I think, at the end of the day is creating an environment where, you know, you have like minded individuals and I think any successful company, if you really boil things down, they have so many entrepreneurs. Every single business unit is, is a like-minded individual that is, this is not just a job. I'm working with my friends. I'm working with my family. And we're all in it for the same exact cause. And, you know, that's what I think makes a difference. And, and and making making a difference, you don't make a difference if you aren't ethical. <laughs> you, you only make a difference if you really do add value and you feel good about it at the end of the day. And and I think you know that it's it is it's compiling the right the right people with the right the right values, the right ethics, um, and and that creates really a flywheel effect. Yeah. You know, when you think about our audience, um, you know, we have a lot of senior leaders from corporations, investors, startups, founders as well, listening to uh, our discussion. And, you know, they're also very keen to understand the emerging risk, but the emerging opportunities that comes to bear. I wonder, Monica, what trend should they pay attention to? as we look at the world of e-commerce and uh, fintech and technology in general, what are those trends which keeps you maybe awake at night or excite you to actually embrace them as you continue to grow and scale Chargeback 911? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, great question. And, and I think uh, we are definitely in an unprecedented time. So technology has reached a point where, you know, I think it's, it's level set the entire ecosystem. Uh, and, and that is, that's very exciting because it creates a lot of opportunity, 
It's also terrifying because so many organizations, including ourselves, where we've, we've looked at, you know, our product is we've created this technology moat because of our technology. And so I think something that, that any leader in this space needs to focus on is you can't be betting on just your technology. Actually, the things that matter most, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's your relationships, it's your partners. You can't do everything on your own any longer. So, you know, you, you have to leverage partners. You need to focus on speed to market. Um, and, 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 you know, the waterfall approach is gone. Maybe even the agile scrum method is gone. <laughs> you, you, you actually like today is about building a prototype and iterating and, you know, being, do not spend a minute looking at what your competitors are doing. Instead, spend all of your time creating space between you and them. And what's created probably the most value and where a lot of my attention is, is, is actually choosing. And I think I, I will definitely say choosing. I don't care what startup you're talking about. It, you may feel desperate as a startup, but it's so important that you choose who you want to do business with, because this is also part of your team. And in order to get to that next level, especially, you know, when, when, when you're a growing organization, then you realize it's, it's not just, it's not just your own team as employees, but it's also your partners that are helping taking you to the next level. So you need to make sure those companies also share the same ethos and, and it hooks into your vision. So I stay up at night sometimes thinking, you know, are we stay are we staying on the right path are we maintaining the right strategy you know it's hard to say no sometimes because there's there is so much opportunity um and but we all have to recognize we have finite resources no matter how gigantic you are they are finite so you need to choose where you invest your resources and choose wisely and and make sure that you know, you're, you're doing things that are, you know, completely aligned with the mission of your company and staying true to your, your core values as well. Yeah, you know, very wise words, uh, because at the end of the day, resources are limited. I think the most precious resource today is time. Yeah. Um, and so being able to use that time effectively to achieve the right outcome alongside the right strategy becomes harder and harder because as you said we can be tempted by so many things happening around us so monica what would be your last words of wisdom what would be the items the words you would like our listener to remember when they think about chargeback 911 and monica heaton um man i feel like i've given all of my words so far <laughs> I, let's see. Um, I think, uh, what, what are my last words of wisdom? Probably, um, you know, I think maybe I would give, I would give some words of advice to other entrepreneurs, other startups. I think this is always close to my heart and, and also recognize that even for individuals that are working for a company, I don't, I don't subscribe to the belief that there's one entrepreneur that creates everything. You know, when you look inside every organization, there are so many 
that yes. like, every single business unit is literally its own company and, and it wouldn't go anywhere without that creative ingenuity from that, that person. So, um, you know, something that I've, I've continued to learn through the years is, you know, to, to, to really have confidence in, in yourself, have confidence in your vision, have confidence in your team and, and recognize that the single best investment that you will ever make is in the people that surround you and and really you know go all in on on in in that team the people the your clients and and continue to raise the bar to be the best and and lastly you know another lesson i think is you know partners are probably uh more valuable today than they've ever been because it's the relationships and to and what you were saying time is the biggest asset so when we look at the the unprecedented scenario that technology evolution and advancement has created this is this may create a level playing field for technologists worldwide what it can never touch are the relationships that you've invested in and the people that you brought to the table and the decade of you know investment and doing a great job you you can never you can never discount that worth that that is brought to the table so continue to really put a terrific amount of investment in in those resources because i think going forward that will be you know the unique competitive differentiator and we will see a shift in, in the way that businesses are valued and, and also in the way that, that people choose who to do business with. Yeah, yeah, you highlighted purpose. I think you have a strong backbone around, you know, one of our most important assets are people. And so it's about finding the right balance between people, strategy and purpose to move into actionable uh, steps and delivering against that business strategy as you have done very successfully in scaling Chargeback 911. And as a woman founder, very inspirational as well, uh, Monica. So where can we find you? Um, the best place is to find me online. You can visit me on LinkedIn or you can go to chargeback911.com and connect to us there as well. Thank you so much, Monica, for joining me on Scouting for Growth. It was a really pleasure to learn a bit more about Chargeback 911 and get your story shared with our listener, uh, an inspirational as well story for our woman founder. So thank you so much for joining me thank today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Likewise. No, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.